So I'll also be preaching today. Um, and today I'd like to preach from the book of Jonah. Um, if you've heard any of my other sermons, I like taking topics that I studied when I was a kid in Sunday school and sort of revisit them as an adult. Um, because these books weren't written as children's stories. They were just, you know, a collection from, in this case, from one of the prophets. And so the applications are more for adults than they are um, for children. And um, so Jonah, it's towards the end of the New Testament. And it's, it's a small book. It's only four chapters. Um, and sometimes it's hard to find. So if you have one of the Bibles from here, it's probably around page 1436. Um, it's so skinny, especially on these thin pages, that it's easy to, to flip back and forth over it. Um, and so with Jonah, I mean, obviously there's what you remember as a kid, or I'm sure some of us have read it since we've been children. Um, but it's, I mean, it, it lends itself well to a kid's story because there is so much spectacle to it. You know, there's a guy, he gets swallowed by a big fish. Um, but that's such a small part of it, and there's a lot more going on in Jonah. And just in studying it in the past week, I found it fascinating. Um, and like many of the topics that I've taught on before, I go into it with sort of my own thesis statement, you know, this is what I want to say about Jonah. And then by the time I study it, it's like, that is completely scrapped, and, you know, here's what I think I'm supposed to get out of it. Um, hopefully you'll get something similar out of it, too. Um, and, you know, because you know Jonah, you know the story, he's supposed to go to Nineveh, he doesn't go to Nineveh, he gets swallowed by a fish, spit out, and then he goes to Nineveh. And, you know... You can think the moral of the story is that you just can't avoid God's plan. Um, and yes, that's true. Um, but also, just from reading the book, I would say you can avoid God's plan. Um, and we'll hopefully find out why. Um, and so, I think we can get through the whole book today because it is short. Um, it's very short. And so, um, let's just start going through it in Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So Nineveh is, it was the biggest, most powerful city in the Assyrian Empire at the time, and it's located in what would be modern-day Iraq. Um, you know, and so and we start with, with Jonah... Um, he, he's a prophet, obviously, and he's been a prophet in Israel for a while. And Israel at the time um, is doing very successfully politically. Um, it's a pretty strong power, but spiritually it's not doing so well. And so in this case it's a little odd because most of the prophets in Israel were prophesying for Israel. But this is the case where God tells Jonah, I want you to go to a different city. In fact, I want, to go to, I want you to go to your enemy's city. Um, and then we see in verse 3, 
But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee the Lord. So, Jonah runs away, and there's, there could be a couple reasons for this. Um, one, people say that Jonah was just a bigot, and that he hated the Assyrians. Um, and that is probably true. They were enemies at the time, and the Assyrians were notorious for um, torturing people. They would dominate other nations and take their leaders and just torture and kill them in extremely cruel ways. They were just incredibly pagan at the time, and so most people in Israel feared and hated them. Um, But another reason why Jonah may have gone the other way is that he had been preaching in Israel and no one was listening to him. And so now he's asked to go to a pagan country and he's like, if no one at home will listen to me, well, why will they? Um, and even more so, if they do, what does that say about our nation? So Jonah runs away and says he heads for Tarshish. And we're not exactly sure what city that might be. Um, some research says it could be Tartessos, which is in southern Spain, which... If you're familiar with the Mediterranean, if you've got Assyria over here, southern Spain is at the opposite side of the Mediterranean Sea. And so it's about as far as you possibly can go. And even at the time, that was about the scope of the social economic world at that time. Um, Also, too, Tarshish can just refer to the Mediterranean Sea. So at this point, it could be that Jonah is even aimless. He's just going as far away from Nineveh as he can get, um, with maybe even no destination in mind. Then the Lord sent, in verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. So this is interesting because a couple things are happening. First, we have a supernatural storm. God sent a wind, God sent a storm to the point where they're on a boat. These guys are professional sailors. And they're afraid. Like, they're afraid the ship is going to be torn apart. And they're praying to all the gods that they know. They are terrified. So this must have been some spectacular storm, even to the point where they knew it was supernatural themselves, because they're praying to their gods. And yet through this, Jonah is fast asleep. You know, and the captain can't believe this. You know, and he goes to Jonah and, you know, how can you be sleeping? And in one of the commentaries I was reading, um, it it said that this could for Jonah be a physical manifestation of his spiritual state. That at this point, he had turned his back on God. He was spiritually dead. And so, he's just completely turned off. Like, shut down. Um, But anyhow, they they wake him and ask him to pray. So At the time, there was a lot of pagan practice people had lots of gods and they saw these gods as sort of a go-between between humans and even higher supreme gods and so 
I'm sure there was a mix of people on the ship, so they're like, we don't know which deity is upset right now, so everybody start praying to everything. And Jonah is a stranger to them. They're going to wake him up. It's like, whatever God you have, start praying, because nothing else is working, and, and we're afraid. And then in verse 7, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where did you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. So at this point, the sailors are like, they know someone is guilty of something, and probably, you know, they each sort of know, maybe I've done something, but they don't know who's responsible so they're going to cast lots they're like we've done all we can do we'll let the deities tell us who's at fault here and so this is interesting because it's sort of a pagan practice that God uses to point to Jonah Um, and so they cast the lots which is basically drawing straws and you know Jonah gets the short straw and so they're like okay you have to tell us what did you do um and so he said, I ran away from the Lord. And so this, this is going to really scare them even more because they are headed in the same direction that Jonah is, um, both literally and probably in their minds um, spiritually as well. Um, and so, um, you, you know, Jonah spills the beans. You know, he, he tells them what's, what's happening. And so at this point... Um, because they know Jonah's God is responsible for this, the sailors from here proceed with extreme caution. Because they, you know, basically Jonah is in charge now because they they have no idea what to do. They know he's upset God, um, and so they want to know what to do. So in verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. And I know that it is my fault the great storm has come upon you. And so, this is the first time where Jonah does anything noble. Um, He's been pretty selfish and even defiant of God up until this point. And what's, what's interesting is that he tells them to throw him over. He doesn't jump over himself. Um, and this is because Jonah knows that he's done wrong and he knows justice needs to be served. And he, you know, he can't execute his own sentence. So he needs them, the captain of the ship, the crew of the ship, to, you know, see out his sentence and throw him overboard. Um, and what's interesting here is something comes into play that we'll see a little later um, in this book, and it's that um, Jonah's actions and decisions 
are affecting the people around him. Um, he fled God. He's on this boat. God didn't send lightning or sickness or something just to strike Jonah. Everyone around him is suddenly in danger. And I think Jonah is now realizing this and knowing that he has to, to do what's right. So he says, throw me in. And then this gets interesting. In verse 13, uh, Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So, these guys, it might sound like they're, they're very decent, and they could have been. Because um, before throwing Jonah over, they're like, we're going to try one last time to just get back to shore. Um, and I think part of this was, you know, they were taking pity on Jonah. Part of it, I think they were scared of Jonah's God, and even if throwing him over didn't work, I think they just wanted to get off the sea as soon as possible. But they, they wrote, and the, the word was digging, so it's like they were, like using everything they had to try to get back to land, but they couldn't. And so um, so the only thing they can do is throw Jonah over. And at this, again, they're still very, very cautious. You know, and they cry out to God, we're going to do this. If he's innocent, we're sorry. Um, and it may be nobility, probably not. It's probably fear. You know, again, they're seeing a God that's more powerful than what they've been accustomed to and they're scared. Uh, And so they throw him over and the sea goes calm and they start praising God and make a sacrifice to him, which is great. Um, I hope that they stopped praying to other gods. Um, We'll only know for sure someday when we're in heaven and if we see them there. We'll know, and hopefully if they're there, uh, we are too. Um, and so they, they threw Jonah over. And then in verse 17, this is, you know, this is what would be on the cover of the book if it were a standalone book. Um, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, and, and this is the part that every kid loves, and this is, you know, but when you think about it, this is terrifying and gruesome. Like, first he's thrown overboard in the sea. You know, he's pretty sure, at this point he knows he's going to die. He's given himself up. He's like, Lord, I've done wrong. Kill me. Lord doesn't. The Lord literally, almost literally, puts him through hell before he pulls him out. So he gets thrown over. And it's not, it's not a big cavernous rib cage like we see in Pinocchio. You know, it's, you know... I don't know how he was able to breathe, if he was at all. Um, He may not have been able to, and that in itself is terrifying. And just the fact that he's um, in a fish, during a storm, under the water, like far from home. Like, it doesn't get much worse than that. Um, And then in chapter 2, 
um, we see Jonah's prayer. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the sea, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. I think at this point he's ready to die. He's ready to go on to heaven. Um, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deeps surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now this prayer probably wasn't what Jonah was praying inside the fish. This was, obviously he wrote the book, or the book was written um, based on his account after this had happened. And so, um, this is, I mean, obviously is what he was thinking, but this is, um, just from the context, you could tell that it was written after he was spit up onto land. Um, And what's amazing here is that the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. It didn't just chuck him out into the ocean and swam to shore. It, you know, pretty much delivered him back to land. Um, which probably upset Jonah a little bit. I think, you know, we see, and we'll see it even more as we go along, he wants to die. He wants to get out of this. He does not want to do this. And many, many times he's just like, let me die, let me die. So I'm sure that inside the fish... You know, I'm sure it was terrifying and it was torture, but I think he was assuming he was off the hook. Um, no pun intended. Um, but no, he gets you know spit onto onto land. Um, and then in chapter three, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time: Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it. Proclaim to it the message I give you. And so two things are happening right here. One, God is saying, you're not getting out of this. I told you to do something, you're going to do it. Um, But I think what also is amazing here and what inspires me is that God gave him a second chance. You know, he's not like, okay, you messed this up. You know, you're done. Bring me the next prophet and I'll send him to Nineveh. You know, it's God also making him, you know, fulfill what he was commanded to do, but also God's not giving up on him. Uh, and even, you know, a rotten guy like Jonah, God can use. In verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. At this point, he'd almost have to. Um, Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. 
And here I wonder, is that all he said? Was that his, was that his sermon to Nineveh? Um, it may be. He may have said more. Um, and that may be all it needed. I mean, also too, I wonder what Jonah was like at this point. He had just spent three days in a fish and then walked to Nineveh. Um, some, some people say that you know, there have been accounts of people that have been swallowed by fish and that if you're in a stomach for that long, it's possible that your hair and skin could be bleached by it. And it's possible that Jonah looked like an albino at this point. The Bible doesn't say he looked any different, but it's possible. And I'm sure whatever happened to had worn on him. So it could very well be that in this pagan city, you see this guy come in who just stepped out of a fish. You're probably going to listen to him. But even more so, I think um, Nineveh, as corrupt as it was, it was probably ready for reform. And... um, here you see evidence where God is doing the hard work and is calling on us to do the easy stuff. Um, you know, we see it's not Jonah's job to reform Nineveh. God just asked him to deliver a message. Um, and I, I kind of think that's the point here. Um, and so in verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let Everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And so, like, this to me is the miracle. Um, You know, surviving three days in a fish you know, is one thing, but for a whole city, you know, that has turned away from God to on a dime, just be like, you're right, we repent. And um, and I think that was God's work, obviously. He had been working on the city, and Jonah was just a catalyst. And here we also see that concept of you are responsible, or your actions are responsible for the people around you. Because king proclaims a fast um, and he said even the animals are fasting you know which the animals probably have not done wrong by God's eyes and I think the king knew that but I think it was it was the gesture of like we know that our actions will affect the whole city and so every living thing in the city is going to demonstrate repentance for God and so I think this was this was a pretty um, uh, pretty sincere repentance from the, the city of Nineveh. And also what was interesting is just the, the king's comment of, who knows, you know, maybe God will change his mind. Um, they're repenting, expecting to be destroyed in 40 days. 
you know, and this is, I mean, they're hoping that God will change his mind, but they're also genuinely sorry, and it's not like, oh, well, Jonah gave us magic words to save ourselves. It's like, no, Jonah just gave them a warning. These actions uh, they've taken upon themselves. And, and so I think that's admirable on the part of the king. Um, and then in verse 10, when God saw what they had did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. And so from here, this is where it gets interesting and where we start to see Jonah's character or lack thereof. Um, in chapter 4, verse 1, but, great, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. So why is Jonah so upset? Um, One, he wasn't going to Nineveh to try to save it. Um, He was ready for them to go. Also, um, Jonah's a prophet. And if he comes to a city and says, in 40 days, this is going to be destroyed, and it's not destroyed, that ruins his street cred, basically. I mean, and it it makes him look like a fraud and a false prophet. And he's angry because it makes God look ineffective, too. That, you know, God said he was going to do this, and now it's not happening. You know, Jonah's like, I'm better off dead than to seem like a useless prophet. And so that's... Um, that's why Jonah is upset. And also, too, again, his own nation wouldn't listen to him. And, the, you know, the prophets before him, when they said, you know, repent, you know, Israel at the time was not right with the Lord. And so to go to, you know, an enemy and deliver God's message and have everyone be on board, it just, you know, it shames his nation. And... Um, in some ways, in his mind, his God as well. And then in verse 4, But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So the people had repented before the 40 days were up. And Jonah was still hoping that God was going to wipe them out. So he was getting out of the city. And he was going to basically sit there and watch it go down. Or at least hope it go, went down. And then in verse 6, Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about this. So Jonah had built a little shelter for himself so he could watch the city go down. Um, But God sent a plant, a bush, um, that gave him even more shade. And Jonah was very excited about this. And here, again, we see that Jonah's own efforts are no match for what God can do. He tries to make some shade. God gives him better shade. Um, And then Jonah gets excited about this because he... um, He's in favor with God. God did something nice for him. Obviously, he must be a great guy. Um, 
But then in verse 7, But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And so, here God's teaching Jonah a lesson. He showed him favor. He immediately took it away. Jonah was angry. And, I mean, who wouldn't have been? You know, it's like, why are you going to make a bush if you're just going to take it away? But it's God's demonstrating to him um, that just because you were successful one day, you may not be successful the next. And it, you know, he's like, I gave this to you. You didn't do anything to earn it. So you should not be upset um, when I take it away. And this is a warning for Israel. And I think, I mean, it can be a warning for us. I mean, you can have prosperity that's from God for a long time. But if, you know, you didn't earn it, you know, you didn't take care of it, it can leave at any time. And, you know, so it's God telling Jonah, Israel may be God's chosen people, but, you know, you can lose favor really quickly. And we saw in Nineveh, God changes his mind, or at least, you know, will take a threat away. And then in verse 11, God continues. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And so this verse it doesn't mean that Ninevites are stupid. Um, when it refers to people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, he's talking about children. Um, you know, children at a certain age and below, they can't tell. And animals as well. You know, God's saying, yes, there's wickedness in this city, but look how many innocents there are. You know, and he's like, I'll break my word, or at least, you know change the warning if it can save people. Um, and that's where it ends, which is odd, because it's not like Jonah learned a valuable lesson and changed his ways. It ended with Jonah just being bitter and wanting to die and just being upset that you know he was shamed, his nation was shamed, and his enemies haven't died. Um, but... You know, in this story, Jonah's not the hero, it's God. Throughout the whole story, God has been merciful, he's been patient with Jonah, he's been merciful with the city, um, and it shows more of God's character than of Jonah's. Um, And so, can you avoid God's plan? Well, the Ninevites did. They got a warning, they changed their ways, and God spared them. Um... But sadly, eventually, they went back to paganism and corruption again, and they got wiped out. Um, And so, you know, but again, it's illustrating, you know, the, um, the bush and the worm, that it's like, you can have favor one day, but it can go away again. Um, and so, 
Um, yeah, so we see Jonah is almost the villain of the story. Um, but I have to say, one thing I do admire about him is his faith never wavered. Like, he was close to God. He was a prophet. He talked to God. He had conversations with God. They weren't healthy from Jonah's point of view. Um, you know, he was defying God, which is sort of a shame. I mean, he's here's someone that is talking to God directly and is defying him and arguing with him. Um, but the inspiration I get with this is, is, as rotten as Jonah is, he was effective. God gave him a job to do. He fought it the whole time. He got into the city. He delivered a message that could have just been him walking up and down the streets going, you've got 40 days left. Um, but again, it's not Jonah's efforts here that made the difference. It's God's mercy and his compassion. Um, and I think that's um, the point of, of this book. So let, that's it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you that we have minds that can start to understand it. Um, and Lord, we thank you for what you reveal to us, and we pray that you would reveal more to us uh, as we learn and study more and spend time in your word. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would show us what our Nineveh is. Um, whatever we might hate that has your affection, um, help us not to be like Jonah and to you know, have feelings of mercy and compassion um, so that we might have uh, characteristics that are more like yours. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.